You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning, Grace family. It's multiple choice time. Which of the following statements are true? A. God loved the world so much that he gave his son so that all who believe in him will have eternal life. Now, that's, that's an easy one. I wonder how many languages are represented here today in which this truth could be quoted from memory. Well, what about B? Jesus prayed for God's mercy to be extended to his enemies. Of course he did. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He said that from the cross, for goodness sake. Well, then how about C? Jesus made a distinction between those who believe him and those who do not, praying for his followers, but not for those who do not follow him. Okay, this is where it gets a little bit Tricky. If Jesus prayed forgiveness for his enemies, then how can we say that he makes a distinction? And he prays for his followers, but not for those in the world. Moving on. D, God desires that all will repent and come to a knowledge of himself. We are back in more comfortable territory, but can we feel confident in this? Now, the last statement Jesus prayed first for the end in oh, first with the end in mind without neglecting prayer for the more immediate needs. Uh, this is typically backwards from how we pray. We will usually ask first for our immediate needs and then tack on at the end. Nevertheless, God's will be done. We have a model for that. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane was that way. My, my father, if it, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup that we drank just now, the cup of God's wrath against sin. Uh, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Typically, though, in the prayer that we know is the Lord's Prayer, John 17 is what many consider the Lord's Prayer, but the one that most people say, well, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you know how it goes. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Or I got those two phrases backwards. Typically, uh, in, in, the, in that model of a prayer, we pray for God's will to be done first, and then we begin to ask for our daily needs to be met. So which of these statements are true? Uh, you know the answer. All are true. If you no longer hope that your good deeds will be enough to qualify you, you to, 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 to stand before the Lord in heaven, but rather you are resting on Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sins, then all of these statements are true for you, you're a blessed recipient of Jesus' prayers on your behalf. And it all is correct. 
The one in the middle is the one that gives us the most trouble. But fortunately, that's the one that we will address today. Jeff has already read it. We're going to look at it a little more closely. But all the truths that are listed in this initial list are in play as we work through Jesus' prayer in John 17. The title of today's message is simply Jesus' Prayer for His Disciples. I tried to be clever with the title, but found that I was being too clever by half. And so I just said, okay, this is what it is. Today's text is is giving us Jesus' Prayer for His Disciples. As we did last Sunday, we're going to read the text and then go through verse by verse. Uh, We're going to see Jesus moving from asking God to glorify himself and to glorify Jesus, and presumably through the death, uh, burial, and resurrection of Christ as we remembered, mourned, and celebrated just a few moments ago. So Jesus is moving from asking God to glorify himself to prayer for, the, for his disciples who will be left to continue Jesus' mission to the world. So John 17, 9 through 19 is our text, and as is our custom, I'll ask you if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Jesus begins by saying, I am praying for them. And he's talking about his disciples. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them not from the world, but from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. Well, we're going to begin with a bang in verses 9 through 11 with Jesus praying for his disciples, but also making the point that he was not praying for those who did not follow him. He was not praying for those 
in the world or not praying for the world. Uh, As we mentioned last week, Jesus was praying for God's will and purposes all through this prayer. He's praying a lot about mission. He's praying for God's will and his purposes to be accomplished in the world. But now, verse 11, Jesus would be leaving the world while the disciples remain behind to complete his mission. I doubt these are the men you would have chosen to turn the world upside down. These are just not the guys that would have turned, we would have thought would turn the world upside. Thank the Lord. That ought to be encouragement for every one of us. That God uses us according to our faithfulness, according to his plan, which brings glory to him, not to us. It was exactly the right group. And Jesus prayed that he would be glorified in him, in them and that they would carry on in Jesus' absence, as we are going to see when the prayer continues. I've thought much during the preparation of this message this week about how unworthy I am and how gracious Jesus has been to me. All the mercy of the Lord ought to be seen in this tender prayer for the ones that he loves so dearly. Some say that when Jesus made the distinction between his followers and the world, he was only praying for the mission that would be accomplished to which the world was opposed. So he couldn't pray for the world because these were the ones who were going to accomplish his mission. We know that the disciples were taken out of the world and placed into God's family, as were we. So it cannot be that Jesus was saying, I hate the world, but I love those who follow me. We came out of the world. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He gave his one and only, his unique son to die for us so that we might have eternal life. But there is a clear divide, is there not? Between those who believe in Jesus and those who do not. D.A. Carson says this about verse 9. Jesus' self-imposed restriction as to whom he prays for is not missiological but theological. Why does he pray for them? They are yours. So to be clear, some belong to Jesus, some do not. Although God loved the entire world and sent his son To die for the sins of the world, there is a special love, one that is deep and affectionate for those who belong to Jesus. This has been clear throughout the farewell discourse in John 13 all the way through 17. Although technically you could put the farewell discourse a little bit inside those parameters. But it's been clear throughout this entire time. And Jesus' prayer in John 17 has an air of intimate care for his disciples. In verse 10, Jesus tells the Father that he is glorified in this unlikely group of people. Why? Likely because they trusted Jesus rather than themselves. 
they believed the gospel. When we believe the gospel, when we proclaim the gospel, Jesus is glorified in and through us. Jesus' words in verse 11 surely troubled the disciples. He was going to the Father and leaving them behind. Even so, his prayer that the Father would keep them in his name and that they may be one, even as the Father and Son were one, must have given them mixed emotions. They were probably encouraged in some way and confused in others. Jesus was asking God to keep them according to his character, not according to his power, as some of your translations may say. More likely, he's talking about God's character. Remember, last week we talked about the name of God being, and, and, and the name of God that was revealed to the disciples was his character and his ways that were revealed to them. But for the disciples... excuse me, to be one as the Father and the Son were one must have been confusing. They were still trying to understand. It's not like those of us who fully and completely understand the Trinity, right? You You could give a good definition of the Trinity. You get it completely. No, they were trying to wrap their heads around Father and the Son. We, they are glorified in us. So the, the disciples were a little bit confused. We are not nearly as confused as they are. We are still far from being to the place where we can understand completely what it means Father, Son, Spirit are one essence, three persons. We can't fully comprehend that, but we know a whole lot more than the disciples did. And we understand that Jesus was praying. That his disciples would be one in mind, heart, and spirit. Now think about this. One in mind, heart, spirit, soul. This was a unity that was given to them. Not one they were expected to create or build. But it was a unity of the essence of who we are more than the purpose. It's not just that we are called together for mission. Although that's a big part of it. But we are to be one, all the way completely one with one another. And our example is the Father and the Son. It should be humbling to us to, to think that God has brought our church family together. And in Christ, we are united in this way. We certainly need prayer for this. In verse 12, uh, Jesus affirmed that he had kept the disciples safe except for Judas Iscariot. And even Judas' betrayal was according to design. This also should be a comfort to us. We are kept by the Father's love and care. That's a comforting thought, but it can quickly become unsettling when we think about those that we love who have walked away from Jesus. And I'm sure this hits a tender spot for many of us. God is sovereign, though, and it's not up to us to keep others in the fold. 
And when they walk away, it is up to God, not to us, to bring them back. Of course, we're going to pursue them. <clears throat> of course, we're going to talk with them. Of course, we're going to pray for them. But prayer may be the most effective thing that we can do for those who one time understood Scripture in the same way that we do, and they say, I don't believe that anymore. It's not that we can become a little bit more clever and, and convince it. No, it's God who is going to draw them back. There's no joy apart from Jesus, and sooner or later, many who walk away recall the blessings of their father's home, just like the prodigal son. And they walk back to the place that they left. And when they come back, they find that the father's arms are open and waiting to welcome them home. The great privilege <clears throat> that is ours as recipients and guardians of the gospel. We're recipients and guardians of the gospel. And that privilege is accompanied with a burden. If the world hated Jesus, the world will hate his followers. And now we know why. We have received God's word. It's been revealed to us. And the world hates the truth of the gospel. The world seeks after recognition and control and power. And when you think about it, the first word of the Christian life is found in the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven or Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who see no goodness in themselves that would give them confidence that they might stand before God based on their own merit. Blessed are those whose only hope is in the Lord. If you have been outraged by something you saw on the news or social media, or something that was said in your presence this past week. If you have been outraged. Chances are you have failed to assume. The posture. Of the blessed man or woman. And I know this is likely true for many of you. Because it was true when I was looking in the mirror this morning. And I'm thinking. You've just been outraged. Outraged. I try not to use certain words. But I, I, I assume the spirit. Whether I actually use the word or not. If you are outraged by something that someone said 25 years ago or by a careless comment that someone makes, you will be loudly cheered by those on your side. But blessed of the Lord, I, I, I don't see it in this verse. On the other hand, a humble life lived according to God's word, is often despised. Is that not counterintuitive? People are walking around like this, and here comes someone who is gentle, caring, deferential, gracious, and they're hated. A humble life lived according to God's word is often despised because although no words are spoken, the judgment of God's word lived out in others' live, lives is clear. 
When you follow Jesus, your spirit of humility is somehow offensive. It's not you that offends others, but the word of the cross that you affirm. All are sinners and only find hope in Jesus. Nothing else. Even though it is Jesus' request that we remain in the world rather than be taken out of the world, he prays for our protection against the evil one or from against Satan. This is a good reminder that our enemy is not those on the other side of the political or social spectrum, but rather our enemy is Satan. When we belong to Jesus, we no longer belong to Satan. He hates that. He hates you. He hates me. He is far cleverer than we could ever hope to be. It is a blessing to know that our Savior prays for us just as he prayed for his disciples. To know the hatred of our chief enemy is to understand, as these verses make clear, that even though we are of the world, or in the world, I mean, we are not of the world. It's good to end this section of our study, verse-by-verse study in verses 17 and 19. Jesus prays that his disciples will be sanctified or made holy, set apart in the truth, and he quickly adds that God's word is truth. So Jesus' gift to his disciples and to us is God's word. To be more precise, his gift to us is Jesus, whom we see in God's word. God is revealed to us through Jesus, and this is given to us in Scripture. So if you want to be more like Jesus, then soak in the Scriptures. Study the Bible. Meditate on God's word. We are going to need the firm foundation of God's word because we are being sent into the world. Yes, the words that we have read today were specifically prayed for the disciples. But we're going to see next week. Jesus had us in mind when he prayed for the disciples. It all goes down to his prayers for us as well as for his disciples. As the Father sent Jesus into the world, now Jesus was informing the disciples through his prayer that he was sending them into the world to continue the mission that God had given Jesus. That mission would be to spread the truth of the gospel, a truth they did not yet fully grasp, but would soon understand in the fulfillment of Jesus' commitment in verse 19 to consecrate himself or to die for sinners on the cross. So he he would do that so the disciples could be sanctified in truth. That is the gospel, and amen to this portion of the prayer. You know, sometimes in our day, um, when one person is praying, you may hear others quietly affirming the prayer. You may hear people saying, yes, yes, Lord, amen, 
That's right. Yes, God, do that. Um, you may hear a quiet version of that here at Grace. You may hear a more vocal version at other churches. If the disciples were out loud affirmers uh, during this prayer, they would have likely been saying something like, yes, Lord, no, wait, oh, hmm, I'm not sure what he means by that, hmm. But we know, we know what he meant. We have the Holy Spirit living in us to help us make sense of the word, of which the Holy Spirit was the author. Therefore, it is right that we apply the truth Jesus intended for us to receive from this prayer. And while we could have 25 points, we're going to limit our focus to three takeaways here at the end. Beginning with, first, God makes a distinction between his followers in the world. Be thankful that he has brought you into the family. This is where we ended last week. We begin today where we end this week, is it not enough to rest in the Savior's prayers for us as his children without worrying about how God's sovereignty and our responsibility to respond to the gospel work together? We don't have to figure it out. We can't figure it out. Either way, the true two truths are married. And as you all know, marriage brings us together today. These two are inextricably linked. I can assure you that the truth of God bringing us into the family was written for our comfort, not for our theological angst. There's tension in the truth of our relationship with God, and there is blessing in pursuing the mind of God. But it is, after all, the mind of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29, some things he reveals to us. We pass them on to our children. Some things are unknowable. One day we will know even as we are known. For now, rest and rejoice that you have a place in the family. Second, the world hates you for your place in the family. The very, it's a blessing to you, it's a blessing to those around you. It is a burr under the saddle to the world. The world hates you for your place in the family. Be wary of Satan's design to destroy you. And always making that distinction is quite helpful. The New Testament is full of instruction and warnings for believers not to be surprised at the fiery trials that would come, up, come upon them. We are also told to be sober-minded, watchful, because our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking someone to destroy. And there are far worse fates in this world than being persecuted for the truth of the gospel. Remember, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Last, your ability to understand God's word, beginning with the gospel, is God's gift to you. We talked about this last week too, didn't we? This truth is being reinforced over and over. Be committed to the truth of scripture, no matter the cost. 
Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John 17, 7 was, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's not only truth, it is truth. You remember from John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 1, 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the Bible God's truth being known to us. Everything we know about God and our relationship with God through Jesus. Everything we know about how we're to live in the world is the result of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to understand the truth of Scripture. When we are in the Word, we see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we know that we belong and we are blessed with a mission to fulfill purpose in our lives. Great purpose for Jesus' followers. Amen. But as you serve the Lord like Martha, do not fail to sit at Jesus' feet like Mary. With God's word in your lap. And as you sit, learn from him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, our hearts are greatly encouraged in this word that you have given to us. Through Jesus' prayer as recorded in John 17. Lord, uh, may that be what fills our heart and mind this day. Even though Satan rattles his saber and threatens us and mocks us and laughs at us. May we know the love of our Savior. May that love... Sustain us and thrill us and spur us to good works, especially toward one another. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us one another. We yield ourselves to you all over again this day and even moment by moment. We love you, Jesus. It's in the name of our Savior, dear Father, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.